This week on Plot Points Podcast, we catch Reboot Fever, we discuss why Tina Fey is the ultimate boss, and we learn how few series endings mark the scene. <laughs> this is Plot Points Podcast. Claire Anderson, Van Kempen, and uh, Toby Walworth. You, wait, you forgot Princess. <laughs> I, I, I didn't take my spouse's name, so I'm just Toby Walworth. <laughs> oh, I forgot Princess on your name. Well, that goes Princess without Van saying. Kempen. Yeah, Princess Van Kempen. And then uh, Toby Walworth, the editor. Da, da, da. <laughs> oh, not this week. I my introduction was better. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we are uh, doing, uh, we're, Newport Beach is a little bit, well, it's cleared up, but it was a little bit foggy this morning. It was almost like winter here, or, well. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> I, I was just in Chicago where it was one degree. Yeah, well, it was, it was in the 60s, or the, the mid-50s, come on. Um, and we're doing our end-of-the-year podcast, although we're not going to do a lot of end-of-the-year crap. Um, we're, too, that's, we're too ironic for that. Uh, <laughs> we're not prepared. But uh, this is the last one for 2017, uh, so uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Um, we are uh, going to probably drop this in January, so Happy New Year to you, and Happy New Year to all our listeners and to yep. all our friends and family. And so uh, this week we're going to talk a little bit before we get into everything about what are we watching. Um, does anybody want to start? Anybody watching anything different from what you've been watching? Yeah, actually, I, I kind of um, – I'm, I'm not entirely sure why because I know that for a few episodes I would chime in and I hadn't been able to watch anything. But lately I've been watching uh, quite a lot of stuff and pretty diverse. Uh, on Hulu I'm watching Marvel's The Runaways, which is uh, definitely uh, a family-friendly-ish uh, Marvel show. I mean it's it's definitely not the Punisher with pink stuff. It's uh, – <laughs> Uh, and it's quite good. I'm two episodes in. It's quite good. It hasn't totally grabbed me yet, but I know it, it, it feels that it's pacing itself for 10 episodes. Right. And it's not entirely self-contained. And, and I mean, I'm on board, so I'll, I'll check that out. So that's been pretty good. Okay. Um, that was called, that's The Runaways? It's called The Runaways. It's, Is it, are uh, they super-powered? Uh, well, yes. Uh, it's based on a I – th- I can't remember if it's a Bendis or a Vaughn book. It is based on a series, and it seems – Certainly, stylistically, it's being pretty true to that. I think in the comic books, they were more pronounced superheroes. In this, they're more like um, sort of masters of industry and, and, and finance and that kind of thing. But there is a there is a, a superhuman element as well. And But like I said, I'm only two episodes in. I cool. don't know what's going on. Cool. And MC, are you watching anything? Um, I watched a lot of like Christmas episodes of different sitcoms and series. Uh, Interesting. You know, in lieu of the holiday, like a lot of the office Christmas holiday parties, a Benihana Christmas. You know, we like to do that with the family. Um, but on the way back, on our flight back from Chicago, um, they were playing a lot of NBC shows. Um, and one of them was uh, The Good Place, which I had never heard oh, ever yeah. seen. And um, it's a series that really focuses on Kristen Bell's character, Eleanor. She wakes up in the afterlife um, and is introduced to Ted Danson's character um, to, like, The Good Place, uh, which is a heaven-like utopia he's designed in re- you know reward for her righteous life. And she realizes that she was sent there by mistake. Um, and it's kind of her navigating the world. Um, but I thought it was really, really original like in terms of the concept the setting and the tone and uh, i liked i only got a half hour of it on 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 the flight but um (laughs) and it was in the second season but um but i still really appreciate it i think i'll go back and start it from the beginning but uh but definitely would recommend it and yeah i want to go back and uh learn more about the characters for sure yeah i i'm still watching all the star treks simultaneously except for the original one which i've seen a couple times um and that's pretty. And well, of course, Parks and Recreation. And How, where are you in Parks and Rec? Uh, they, it's Leslie. No, it's the night before Leslie Nope's election. So great season. Yeah, yep. and yep. Um, 
I think you were right. I mean, when uh, when Adam Scott is it that his name yeah. and um, and uh, what's his name Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe came on board, that show really picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting. Yeah. And uh, so that and um, I've been watching a lot of documentaries for the Revolutionary War script, um, and I found a great one. I found a six and a half hour documentary that's incredible. It, I've never seen half of this stuff that they're putting in here. So. I mean, I would recommend that if you're writing a historical something, you continue the the uh, research because the stuff that I added, I thought really uh, it was for the political stuff, which I hadn't had a lot of. By the way, if you do have uh, some something a comment to make, somebody sh- somebody throw out the phone. Yeah, number, reach please. us. Call us at nine one nine scripts. Okay. Um, as far as writing, I'm uh, I'm doing some writing. I don't know if you guys are or not. I I tend to doubt it. Although MC put out her entire output for the year, but with her two page, <laughs> with her two page, it was a winner. So it I'm was out. a winner. You were, and it was fun. It was great. Um, but I'm I'm doing kind. Besides the Revolutionary War script, I'm doing a generational uh, rewrite of a script that I wrote about uh, ten years ago. I'm calling it the Millennial Rewrite because. I have to go in there and update. You just gave everybody phones? Yeah. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, okay. And then, uh, but no, some other cultural things. It's pretty, it, it, the, the story, it's a very uh, cool little story. It's a, I like the, I'm not going to tell, the last time I mentioned this concept, somebody stole it. So I'm not going to tell you what that is. But I'm going to submit it to a, a producer who's looking for a suspense thriller uh, with a female lead. And uh, in going back on it, it's not that bad, but there are obviously some references. So I'm doing a generational uh, – I mean, you know, if, you, if you've been writing since the early 90s, um, obviously you're going to have th- this issue. And so, yeah, you got to give people cell phones. Like I have one scene where this she goes in and gets a bunch of little digital recorders um, for a specific reason. That ain't going to fly. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a, a cell phone – uh, has yeah. everything you need, you know. So, uh, so I got to figure that out. Are you writing at all? I'm, uh, I'm working on something that I wrote a while ago. I'm doing like a little bit of work on that and um, revisiting it. But uh, I am taking like I'm writing like notes for ideas I'm having. Like it's actually been a very uh, fertile time as far as ideas. But Good. one of the things that I was, uh, you know, you, you talk about, you can tell someone your idea. Uh, Early in the podcast, I talked about I sat down and I wrote like a Doctor Who spec script. Right uh, on Christmas Day, I got to watch it because <laughs> I was like, oh. I was like, shit, got that, I got that, I got that, but different. Uh. Now to, to anybody else, and obviously everyone always does this. I had the idea for Back to the Future right. like five years afterwards, <laughs> but I hadn't seen it. But uh, it was en- it was enough little things that. It, it, it really negates a lot of what my script was for. I mean, I was happy for the exercise and everything because it's not like anybody was 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 clamoring for that script. Right. But uh, but another thing you said earlier that's kind of funny is you know you started writing in the early '90s. Well, dust off that uh, dust off those Roseanne scripts. Cause she's back. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, and that let's segue a little bit into. Um, well, th- that's a great that segue, a segue by the yeah that is <laughs> to uh, uh, yes I'm acknowledging it. Uh, <laughs> You, uh, the three of us talked a little bit about all the sequels that are coming out, Roseanne being the latest. Uh, but before we do this, I just want to make a, a quick distinction. Maybe you're going to make this distinction, and, and I don't know. But let me – I read something that made a distinction between a remake, a, a re- reboot, and a revival. Uh, okay. Now, reboot versus revival, I'm curious about. Yeah, okay. So uh, according to this article, a remake is an older storyline with fresher faces like Magnificent Seven. Okay. A reboot is uh, Star Wars, Star Trek, right? Uh, Batman. Where, where like, it, the, the the other version never happened. No. Well, it's, Star Trek, like Star Trek, the first Star Trek. It's like a Star continuation, Trek. maybe, no, of a storyline. Uh, well, no, it's a, it's a, like the old, the Spider-Man. Spider-Man reboots every time they remake it. Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man is not the same as this latest okay. one. Well, so how would you characterize Star Wars, then? Star Wars is a reboot. With same characters. Uh, and a continuation, and of the it never line. negated. Yeah, it says it can have familiar characters, but a new storyline. So, familiar characters, um, and a revival is like X Files, Roseanne. Yeah, so Roseanne would count as a revival mm-hmm. as opposed to a remake or a reboot, which I thought was a good distinction. Yeah, I mean, it it, it is it is an important distinction, sort of academically, but I, I'm concerned more personally 
on a cultural level. What are we doing? Yeah. Why are we doing this? Now, I, I, I don't want to seem like the crazy old guy, but... Um, <laughs> you mean more than you already... Yeah, well, right. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm aware of it because it's like, well, what are you complaining about? You're complaining about what's on TV. And, and that's what my mom used to do. And uh, she probably still does. We don't talk about it. But um, currently... There are, and I, I, I read a couple of articles and they were all listing stuff, but they're also listing things where people have discussed, wouldn't it be great if we could bring that show back? Mm-hmm. But what's actually legitimate and happening are the number of rebooted shows and revival shows that are actually taking place. And we're talking about Roseanne. They announced that this week. Mm-hmm. Mad About Mad You. Mad About You, yeah. Now, Mad About You also? Mad, mm-hmm. Mad About You. They're, they're in preliminary talks, but yeah, it's NBC, sure. and it's almost certainly going to happen. With, right. with Paul Reiser. They weren't sure. Like, the they, original cast will be returning, except for anybody who is you know dead or like doesn't the need the money. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, it's, and, I mean, and for me, that's troubling. Like, I, I liked Mad About You mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Yeah, when they were young and just getting started well, see, in the relationship. And to see, but now it's a fertile property because now let's address how they are. Boomers. They're empty nesters right. now and they're doing, mm-hmm. it's like, why not just start a new show? First Is of all, there have been a couple of, in the last few years, there have been a couple of sitcoms about empty nesters that didn't catch. Excuse me. That didn't catch an audience. So, right. so NBC is is is. I'm assuming because I haven't been at the meetings, but uh, <laughs> they're like, how do we get all of this sort of collective parental ennui? But how do we get people to actually watch it? Oh well, we'll use existing characters that we already know America loves, and and I'm curious why. But I've got a couple of theories I want to throw out there and see if if these float. Now, real quick, Mary Claire, are you familiar with Mad About You? I am. Yeah, I've seen a few episodes. So uh, when you saw them, were they in rerun or did, were they were they actually on the air? No, they were actually on the air. I mean, I was young probably, yeah. but I would gather or guess that yeah, a lot of people are finding some of these episodes on Netflix or Hulu and, and liking it. That's and so, that's yeah. what that's my mm-hmm. yeah. TV Land also, mm-hmm. even though they're not sequential. Sure. Netflix doesn't or even Netflix? like TBS yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Netflix. So seeing it and discovering old episodes and liking it. And they, I mean, networks have access to. To those so it's nice to see that there's a built-in audience or brand already for a newer generation too they get those demographics yeah what happened i think it was about a, two years ago uh hulu started showing seinfeld episodes they got the entire mm-hmm. run of seinfeld right and it was their most streamed show ever and and hulu is is collectively owned by uh, i think it's like nbc abc and maybe ABC. Fox owns a piece, but yeah. it's, it's it's it was like a weird collaboration. I think, I think didn't uh, didn't that recent that, merger? That's going to change the now. Disney merger because Disney owns a piece of right, Fox. So, right. but but the thing is, like they've all got access to that metric data. Right. So they're like, what do, what does America love? America really likes Seinfeld. NBC is like, great, we'd love to redo Seinfeld. And then Jerry Seinfeld says, no, I've got a pile of money. I don't need to go to <laughs> right. work anymore. Everybody else on the show is is okay and in different places. And Veep is a fantastic right. show for Julia Louis-Dreyfus. <laughs> but but um, so so Seinfeld's probably not a go. So they're like, well, what else have we got? Well, we've got Will and Grace. Well, I, I, don't, I don't feel that Will and Grace was gone long enough that it needed to come back. Great show, fine show. Uh, well, but, aren't, they, aren't they rebooting some of these shows in order to capture i mean they're they're suffering from an audience uh a drop-off so they're bring aren't they bringing these back for for boomers and for that's, that's that demographic that's kind of what my theory is is that nbc is is leading the charge but uh the the, the broadcast networks nbc cbs abc fox are are realizing that their audience is aging mm-hmm. because younger people are watching things other ways right. not, they're not, not not just cord cutting but they're just watching the other channels sure and so they can make uh, adult-oriented content for those people. But but there's always going to be an audience that wants things familiar and FCC, no cursing, no nudity, that kind of thing. So mm. the networks have to find their place in the new – I hate to be that guy – in the new paradigm. Yeah. They have to find their place. No, that's – I mean, it's a legitimate term. Legit. There's a There was a quote – a couple quotes in this article I was looking at in preparation for this. It says – uh, on the mitigation of risk, which is what they're talking about, that's a lot of what the movies are, because you end up with sequels and uh, comic books and uh, big, you know, uh, mitigation of risk. They, uh, so the quote is, they already know these brands. Uh, this is from Deadline's film editor, Anita Bush. Uh, they already know these brands and the combinations have worked on one generation and if written properly will work again. So that goes to the point that you guys were making about it's a new generation. But honestly, would are people are are young people interested in Mad About You or willing? If it's, I think if it's done well, I, I mean guess. that's a lot of what um, 
you know, for some of these too. I mean, even coming back to Will and Grace, I mean, there have been other revivals that have not done well or other reboots. And I think it's a matter of still the writing. And if, you know, you're interested in these characters, so I think it needs to be executed. Yeah. Now, one of the cool things, sort of a a unintended consequence of streaming is you don't realize perhaps that a show like Friends, although in many ways it's very dated, you can watch Friends and you can be the same age as those characters when you're watching that Mm -hmm. show. But when Mm -hmm. they bring that show back, inevitably one of them will crumble and then they'll all crumble. When they bring that show back, instantly all of the Friends are going to be 50 years old or or, or more than 50 years old, which will not make them as relatable to you. So I, I think the death knell, the curse of all these right, shows will be right. the four-word review, which is, it was better before. Well, here's another interesting quote. I didn't realize this because I haven't watched it yet. I was a big fan of the X-Files, but it says, uh, this was really spurred by the success of the X-Files last season. That show was the number three entertainment show in the 18 to 49-year-old demographic, uh, which is what advertisers care about. And so... Um, it, it's I guess they say there's a new group of fans that's discovered on Netflix. So wouldn't X Files kind of be a little bit more bulletproof? Because, well, because that's what they're betting on for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, because they're, you're not trying to relate to a cultural uh, a group of cultural people like a, you know Mary Claire as a as a late millennial would not have to relate to a bunch of fifty year olds. Yeah, Although not, she's very she's very bright and sweet, she would. But I mean, and also fifty year olds are a lot more relatable than they used to be. <laughs> well, that's probably I, true. I hope. But, but yeah, I, I think what I'm saying is, pertains more to like uh, sitcoms mm-hmm. because sitcoms are just about like sort of relatable characters, strong storylines and plots and stuff, X-Files. There's always the potential. But what's strange is you could quite easily and financially it would be advantageous. You could recast that show. You could have a whole new, just like they did with the the Star the Star Trek TV show. Mm-hmm. You did Star Wars movie, Star I, Trek movies. I still think is great. Yeah, but you know, like they can reboot it and go like, oh, the new Fox is a hunkier guy, and the new Mulder is a yeah. sexier lady, and then they go and do their stuff. Well, I think the I think the trend is uh, exciting for writers because if you're if you're an older writer like myself, you you know a lot of these shows. Uh, I don't know if there's ever going to be any potential for me to get on a uh, writing staff for a television show, but at least I, I can walk in and and talk, you know, cogently about yep. the, about the series and stuff. And and the more the more content out there, just in general, the better it is for writers, right? Yeah. Well, I agree with that, and definitely it's good if you want to get a job. Mm. But culturally, it does trouble me a little bit because it's embracing a certain stagnation, and uh, you know. Here it is. I've been waiting to drop this. One of my favorite quotes. My good friend Frank Zappa. He's not my good friend. It isn't necessary to imagine the world ending in fire or ice. There are two other possibilities. One is paperwork and the other is nostalgia. Wow. Okay. On that note, that's a perfect uh, uh, bow for that segment. Thank you very much. Um, if you guys have any comments on anything we say, the, the, the phone number is 919-SCRIPTS. The focus for today is Tina Fey. Oh. Um, so I'm going to get started on this. this uh, what, do you guys know her real name? It's kind of weird. Uh, is it Christina Fey? No, it's Elizabeth Stamantina Tina Fey. And Stamatina, well, she was born in 1970, and she's from Pennsylvania. But Stamatina... Stamatina, yeah, is either Italian or Greek, but it apparently means good, which is sta, and matina, which is morning. Well, she's Greek and Russian, right. so I think that's. But it the 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 provenance of the name or whatever the the etymology is also uh, Italian. Um, so what I what I love about her is she surrounded herself with comedy um, from a young age. Her father would allow her to watch a lot of TV that wouldn't normally be appropriate for her. And at the age of 11, now imagine this, uh, the age of 11, she read Joe Franklin's 70 Years of Great Film Comedians for a school project about comedy. She grew up watching Second City Television, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorites, and has cited Catherine O'Hara as a role model. Uh, Catherine O'Hara is from SCTV and also part of Christopher Guest's um, movie ensemble. If you see a, guest, a Christopher Guest film, you're, you're going to see Catherine O'Hara, as you will Flaherty and, and let well I don't know one a couple of them are dead but 
Yeah, but you like Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, like a lot yeah, of those guys. Second City, SCTV. Yeah. yeah uh, what's his name? John Candy was from there. Yeah. Uh, Martin Short. A lot of people. Yeah. yeah. My father, we bought that for him as a Christmas gift one year when they did all the SCTV? TV. When they did all the TV uh, yeah. box sets. Yeah. And we watched all of them. It was like the goofiest thing I know, I've ever seen. I know. It was hilarious. Uh, it's persona, but there was some great. Oh, I like the uh, blowed up good. They blowed up good, too. There was another one, like the Alaskan show. Where oh, yeah. Like, the Great like, White my, North. Yeah. Oh, my God. My dad loves it. Yeah. It's like, what is this? This was on TV, <laughs> and anyway, that's where she—that's where she got a lot of her uh, inspiration. She uh, she was an honor student in high school. I mean, go figure. Wrote an anonymous satirical column for the school newspaper, and she has a BA in drama from the University of Virginia, where she studied playwriting. And I think that that gives her. You know, when they talk about uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about outliers being having ten thousand hours uh, to become an expert. She probably had that by the time she started SNL. Which was, um, she started most first in Second City Improv Group, uh, which is again, Chicago. yeah, which is Joe Flaherty, Eugene Levy, Andrew Martin, etc. And uh, so other notable alumni are Steve Carroll, Carell, Stephen Colbert, James Belushi, Dan Castellanta, Castellaneta, Castellaneta, who's the voice of Homer, Homer, Homer Simpson, Amy Sedaris, uh, Robert Klein, Fred Willard, and George Went. Uh, in 1997, after submitting a bunch of scripts to SNL, she was hired to be a writer. Quote, I had my eye on the show forever, the other way other kids have their eye on Derek Jeter. Uh, according to her, Faye struggled at SNL, but eventually found her level. So much so that she became head writer in 1999. Then in 2000 with Jimmy Fallon, she started Weekend Update, co-hosting duties, which I, I still think that's one of the best pairings. Although... Later on, she pairs with Amy Poehler as the first, yeah, the first two, that's the first time two women uh, anchored that, so. Entertainment Weekly says of Faye, she delivers such blow darts, poison-filled jokes written in long, precisely parsed sentences, unprecedented in update history, with such a bright, sunny countenance that makes her all the more devilishly delightful. Um, of course, there was also Faye's epic, uh, most of the, what she did was the writing, but there was also her epic, Sarah Palin, uh, which mm-hmm. was sp- spot on. Um, and she, but mostly she did writing. She wasn't, she wasn't featured a lot in the cast. Um, but speaking of her friend, Amy Poehler, they've known each other for 20 years. They met at, uh, Chicago's Improv Olympic, which is a theater, I guess, uh, co-founded by Charna Halpern. She introduced them. Amy said, um, of the, of the pairing, Char- uh, Charna took a liking to me and me to her. She told me I was just as good as the big boys. She believed in me. She said there was another new impro- improviser improviser in another one of her classes who she thought I would really like. Her name was Tina, and she was like me, but with brown hair. <laughs> the Charna Halperin says they were instantly brilliant. They were not the typical women who get in, uh, steamrolled by men. There were no shrinking violets. They were bold and ballsy and featureless. And then uh, this is, I like this section a lot. Amy Poehler said, I remember Tina Fey wrote a play about Catherine the Great fucking a horse. And I thought, that lady is hot stuff. I want to know her. And then Tina says, yes, yes, I used to take playwriting classes and I wrote a one-act play. I can't remember the name of it, but it was really about the way women are perceived as leaders. Now, this is an old joke, but it's still a good one. In the play, Catherine the Great would say things like, you know, John F. Kennedy had extramarital affairs and no one says anything, but I bang one horse and now I'm a horse (laughs) banger for all eternity. So she said that she thought Hillary Clinton could uh, really relate to that uh, that sentiment. She's married to uh, Jeff Richmond, who's a pianist, uh, was a pianist at Second City's musical director and then became a composer on 30 Rock. They have two daughters. So she has a scar. Uh, anybody know how she got that scar? It wasn't was a car accident, was it? No, it's, we- it's the weirdest thing. Um, she, when she was in kindergarten, I, she said in the spring semester of kindergarten. I didn't realize kindergarten had semesters, but <laughs> but uh, she was playing in. She said, I, quarter. "She said I was slashed in the face by a stranger in the alley behind my house." Now, that's a serial killer. That's what's that's a serial killer who. I, I, uh, trust me on this. I mean, John Joubert used to do that kind of stuff when he became before he became a serial killer. So, anyway, I I. I thought that was pretty uh, got off. Yeah, that's a that's a creepy brush. Yeah, yeah, okay. right. She uh, she occasionally pokes fun at her womanly attributes. Uh, quote: Because of the Greek girl thing, I have like boobs and butt. Um, as a result, she adds, I only have two speeds: either matronly or a little slutty. I have to be sheer- steered away from the cheetah print. <laughs> 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 She's just brilliant. Uh, not everyone is happy with Faye using her physical at- attributes comedically. Some have criticized her for equating a size two and above as being ugly. 
Still others have defended her, which I think is great. She mocks her own appearance, sure, but she does so in a way that consistently shows up our culture for playing so, placing so much importance on how women look. Right. And, that, and as if that's the most interesting thing about us. Her comic persona on 30 Rock, Liz Lemon, can be laughed at it for many things, but her career managerial style and ability is not one of them. Um, I think that's uh, like a kind of a, depending on, see, I've seen that process before where somebody looks at something and you get two completely divergent opinions about it. Is there a middle ground there? I mean, should female comedians be okay making fun, like, um, what's her name? Um, Schumer. Schumer, yeah. She makes, she points at her, you know, uh, Zaftig uh, nature. I, I think it's fine. I think it is too. I mean, men do it also. I mean, it's kind of like, <laughs> there's a good episode in 30 Rock. I mean, like, like. Uh, she's saying, you know, it's usually to point out how men are or even, you know, how others are responding to you within society. And uh, a guy takes a call while she's on a date with him and he uh, into the phone. He's kind of like, eh, I'm looking at a six, like drunk, <laughs> drunk nine, <laughs> drunk ten. Like, and it's just funny. You know, I mean, it's like those are things I mean, more say say more about him than her, you know, obviously, right. which is the point. Yeah. And I if I was a comedian, I would make I would definitely make fun of my appearance and, and you know, the things that because I mean, that's. I think it's funny to share that stuff to, and to know that because we do it in our writing, right? I mean, we we process our subconscious through our through our work. Yeah, but also it's revealing any kind of vulnerability makes people more relatable. Mm-hmm. Good point. Uh, I mean, you sort of have to find a, a safety point because at a certain uh, there people can be relatable, but you can also sort of lose respect or, or like for somebody. Mm-hmm. But one of the things cert, thir, certainly in Thirty Rock is that Tina Fey's character was. Uh, the the jokes were never mean at somebody. They were always at her, at her, self-deprecating. But still, that still, uh, I mean, and and the opposite was that Alec Baldwin's character was always mean at other people, right. and and that was that worked well for their dynamic as well. Right, but un- unconsciously, here here is Toby, the king of segways, going right into the next segment on this, which is SNL. After SNL, there was Thirty Rock, and that's premiered in uh, 2006. Was based loosely based on her SNL experiences. It starred uh, Tracy Morgan, Jane Krakowski, Jack McBrayer, and Alec Baldwin as Jack Donahue, the totally uncensored vice president of East Coast Television and Microwave Oven Programming. What Just great. In 2013, the Writers Guild of America named 30 Rock the 21st best written television series of all time. Now, that's... That's amazing, yep. you know, when you're, when you're, then, I mean, she's got uh, tons of awards. Well, t- I'll mention a little bit, a few of them, but they're just two, they're, I have 10 pages of awards that she's received. Mm-hmm. Um, Faye's movie career, I thought, uh, is interesting. She's got both writing and acting in it. Mean Girls was her breakout based on her experiences in high school. I liked Mean Girls a lot. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. Yeah. She also did Baby Mama, Date Night, This Is Where I Leave You, Admission, Sisters, and the latest one, I think, was Whiskey, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which was a drama, right? Whiskey, yeah, a bit of a departure. Whiskey, yeah, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot is, is a, it's a serious film, but it's, or, or maybe it's a very dark comedy. I, I really enjoyed it, but it's, it's it definitely walks It's based that on a true story. I mean, it's based yeah, on that it's woman. Yeah, it's based on a real oh, woman. Oh, right, yeah. The Embedded. Yeah, I, I, I do want to see it, so it's on the list. Um, in, two, 20, in 2001, Entertainment, we- Entertainment Weekly loves this woman, by the way. They named her as one of the entertainers of the year for her work on SNL. In 2007, she was named one of the magazine's entertainment of the year, place number two. In 2008, uh, she, in 2009, she was named fifth in their 15 entertainers of the 2000s. In 2013, they crowned Faye as the once and future queen uh, of, in their feature Women Who Run TV, calling her the funniest woman in the free world. In 2002, she was ranked as, that, that this was great too. In 2002, she was ranked in the Hot 100 list at number 80 on Maxim Magazine, which is typically a very exploitive uh, male, uh, male magazine. Uh, they use photos taken earlier by Rolling Stone calling her the thinking man's sex symbol. <laughs> I think I love that. I love that. The newspaper editors and broadcast producers of the Associated Press Voted Faye the AP Entertainer of the Year. I mean, she just it's just on and on and on. Uh, she's well. I'll talk about her Emmys in a minute. Um, in 2014, well, she was she's appeared in Forbes Annual Celebrity 100 list as the 100 most powerful celebrities in multiple years. Uh, in 2014, she was recognized by Elle magazine during the Women in Hollywood Awards, honoring women for their outstanding achievements in film, spanning all aspects of the motion picture industry, including acting, directing, and producing. Uh, I. 
I mean, she's got as many women of the blank awards as you can imagine, just which I think is a little sad that we have to differentiate that. I mean, that's your yeah, your I point, mean, right? But what's what's fan, uh, that's I mean, that's a valid point, And it's let's get the awards and let's get the recognition and we can debate the propriety of the phrasing right. afterwards. But um, I don't know how much of 30 Rock you guys will watch, but my favorite episode of 30 Rock, hands down addresses that kind of thing because it's the episode with Carrie Fisher. I think oh, it's, that is a great episode. I think it's season two. Mm-hmm. And they bring back, they, they bring Carrie Fisher. Uh, her character is a, uh, 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 the, the Liz Lemon of the 70s. Oh, right. And they sort of imply oh, that I it's saw, like, Yes, I remember that. Is that a Halderman she, she, joke? Yes. Yeah, the whole thing, the mailbox was Halderman. <laughs> yeah. And there's this fantastic, <laughs> so, in, in, there's, a, there's, a, there's a pitch meeting and, and Carrie Fisher's character says, um, we start in a, we start in a, Abortion clinic. And we start an abortion clinic in New Orleans, and we zoom in on this beautiful pregnant mulatto woman. Yeah, I was like, oh, don't <laughs> and they and they and they go over to Tina Fey, and Tina Fey says, "I don't think we can say any of those words." <laughs> yeah. And and the whole thing is about how Carrie Fisher is frustrated that women in entertainment, which is the the Liz Lemon character, why aren't they doing more to advance women in entertainment? Right. And I thought that was a very deft way of handling that that sort of criticism well that's after she's been awarded the fellowship award yeah the fellowship award which is and she's hiding the check behind her (laughs) but but it and it really addresses that sort of that that uh, in entertainment we we hold uh women who are getting success and getting some notoriety to a slightly higher standard like well why aren't they holding the door open for other Mm -hmm. women it's like we well, never asked guys to do that. Yeah, either. but there's been there's been criticism of women of of these last couple gener not last couple generations, but of the last twenty years, as as kind of uh, dropping the ball with the feminist movement. I mean, not from my perspective, but I've heard that criticism, where you know they they work so hard, and I think that's Carrie Fisher's generation, right? Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, Faye has received nine primetime Emmy awards, two Golden Globe awards, five Screen Actor Guild awards, and four Writers Guild of America awards. Um, in 2008, the Associated Press gave her. Oh, I, I think I already. Oh no, they gave her Entertainment of the Year, Entertainment of the Year award for her Sarah Palin impression, and then she was awarded the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor, becoming the youngest ever recipient of that award. M- many people know her from the Golden Globes with uh, Amy Poehler, which that was the highest ratings for that annual ceremony in in a decade, and I thought it. They were brilliant. Yeah, they were brilliant. They were brilliant. Yeah. They reference, I mean, sort of what we were just discussing, too, at a point where George Clooney is getting the, oh, I forget what awarded it, maybe the Cecil B. DeMille Award, um, but he was there with his new wife, right. Huma, yeah. and she and she was, they were like, oh, you know, he's, he's the husband of a humanitarian, yeah. like, she's a great lawyer, so naturally he's getting an award tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They turned, they flipped the yeah, script. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. She, um, uh, anyway, yeah, the, uh, 30 Rock ended in, with 112 Emmy Award nominations. It's just yeah. astounding. I mean, now, for- one of the things about that show is it was a critical success. It was a media darling. It never did great in the ratings. Yeah. It, uh, it went for but, six or seven yeah, seasons. Yeah. And, and that, but a big part of what kept that show going was the recognition that it was really good work, mm. even if it wasn't a huge uh, ratings grabber. Well, I think I think probably networks, if they have anything that tracks, uh, they're going to hold yeah. on to it for a while. So, um, in 2015, she did the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which we talked about a little bit for Netflix. Here's what, I didn't realize this: in, the series was nominated for seven primetime Emmy awards, including Outstanding Comedy Series. She was nominated both as a creator, executive producer of the series, and for Outstanding Guest Actress. Uh, where she played for her guest performance as Marsha, a bumbling prosecutor in reference to Marsha Clark. Right. <laughs> She's the one defending Kimmy and all of that. Oh, and that's it's, great. It's, it's very funny. I, I love this. In 2011, her autobiography, Bossy Pants, which yeah. probably the greatest title in the history of <laughs> books, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, was released, and she got, uh, I mean, critic Janet Maslin of the New York Times said that Bossy Pants isn't a memoir. It's a spiky blend of humor, introspection, critical thinking, thinking, and Nora Ephron-isms for a new generation. Yeah. I, you know, in going over this, one of the things, I'm, I, you know, just, uh, just mind-blown, but it, it occurs to me that is this a possibility that when you get success, you 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 take you take your game to a different level, or has that level always been there? Just looking for an opportunity because it seems like she went from 
you know, a small role in SNL to being the head writer. She There's a progression there. And every time she started something new, it was better, faster, you know, kill, uh, kill pussycat. What is that? Faster, faster, faster pussycat. Kill, kill, kill. kill. Yeah. Um, but I mean, is that, is that what, is that the process here? Uh, does well, it, does it put a burden on you to be better, much better? I'd, I'd like to think that your goal is, uh, and, and whatever Tina Fey's goal is, is, is still over the, the horizon. Mm. If, if you're doing it a horizon at a time, uh, you know, well, like any horizon, you're just not going to get there. Mm-hmm. But if, 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 uh, if Tina Fey's goal is, is sort of delightfully unattainable, then you just keep going through all of these. You never really rest on your laurels. That's mm-hmm. why, especially now, she's doing appearances on other shows. She's not necessarily building a show around herself. I did read somewhere that NBC would like to restart 30 Rock, which I'm no, like, no, why? You know, like, it's ju- it just left. It just left, yeah. And it's like, just bring it back. Why? It, it left when it wanted to go. Yeah. And it's it, it wasn't because of the ratings. It left when it wanted to go. But bringing those shows back, it... It's a very short game, and I think it stops someone like Tina Fey from doing a lot more interesting work because she's got Kimmy Schmidt. She's involved in uh, great news. Uh, f- her, her film career has, you know, she hasn't had huge hits, although uh, Mean Girls is... Uh, and they just made a Broadway into a Broadway show. And also. it's, it's a, that is a very, mm. like, seminal film. With yeah. I, I work with a lot of uh, uh, younger people, like younger millennials, mm. And they all love that film, and they don't think about the, the, the messages that that film has delivered to them, imparted to them, mm. and, and affected them, are not heavy-handed and not consciously. It's not the end of a, a, a G.I. Joe episode where they say, hey, be nice to people who are different. <laughs> they show you, and I think, I think, funnily enough, that may be something that she'll be very well remembered for, mm-hmm. that is, but it's just, it's just one stepping stone on the way to something yeah. else. Yeah, I don't know what goals she could have at this point. I mean, she's she's accomplished just about anything a, a comedic writer could. I guess a live show, you know, some sort of variety hour, the Tina Fey variety hour. Well, yeah, hour. but I mean, it, it, like you say, because it, it's hard to guess what her goals might be. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, series endings uh, or series is that series I don't know how to put this. Series endings that were bad. Actual finales. finales, But like as opposed to just running out of juice and getting canceled. Right, right. Like they were were able to to actually finish it. So um, Mary Claire has that list. Yeah, and this was a list that Mark found. And I mentioned it's a little clickbaity, but it's like you got to click it. It's a lot (laughs) clickbaity. But um, but I thought they had some good ones that were, you know, kind of, you know, up for debate or that we could talk about. Because the series finale, it's always like, sort of a tricky gambit you know i was reading an article that said you know a series is a chance or a series end is a chance to deliver on the one thing tv is expressly designed not to provide which is conclusiveness you know tv's goal Mm. is to keep going and you know have its writers um you know continue on with a number of plot developments to sort of meet that goal and so i so this list yeah i mean it was sort of like it, not necessarily, yeah, again, the worst, but just ones that were, you know, people questioned or had thoughts about or talked about or debated. And so it started the list off at number 10 with um, Two and a Half Men. Um, Which I've never seen. <laughs> any episode? No. You've not seen, so you don't even know what the incredibly I, convoluted concept is. I do know <laughs> what from the, all the... Uh, it what, turns out that the half a man is just a child. It's not right. like no, it's some kind of alien. It I was, was it was the It was the winning guy. It was, uh, what's his name, Arquette? Right? No, Charlie Sheen. Charlie, oh, Charlie Sheen. Sheen, right. But uh, <laughs> if they reboot it, they could get David Arquette in it, and I might watch it. Well, they, they used the, what's-his-name for the reboot. I know that. Uh, Ashton Kutcher. Ashton yeah. Kutcher. So, yeah. yeah. I, no, I know what it is. I, so they had, had the worst end, one of the worst endings, they said? It was uh, one of the meanest. Meanest? Right, so yeah, it was he mean. returns. So oh, I know they dropped. A, they yeah, dropped a piano right, on him. So right. Charlie returns. Uh, originally, they killed him. Originally, like yeah. in the original, like sort of series we had before. Um, uh, whatever Ashton Kutcher comes into play, and he's standing in front of a house, a piano falls on him, and then they break the fourth wall by the director Chuck Chuck Lorre, and who says winning before a piano right. gets dropped on him too. Yeah, um, which I I actually liked that concept. Me either. I thought it was funny, but yeah. I mean, I, honestly, it's a funnier than a lot of. Are we, how much stuff is Arena? I mean, no. funnier than a lot of the other I'll, stuff. I'll, that was I'll on take up. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've never seen it, so I can't. I've I've seen those cultural references, though. But uh, yeah. what's number nine? Uh, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, well, so it was like all of the shows. Sort of questions were not answered, and just or answered was sort of like God did it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it did. It did go. It it did take a. What can we say? Like artistically respectable. Mm-hmm. It definitely zigged where we were looking for a zag, mm-hmm. but um, but longevity wise, I don't know if it, I don't know if that holds up. I loved the series. I loved the reboot. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was fantastic, and uh, was really disappointed by the ending. And I think I think that's a consensus with a lot of uh, yeah. people that like space opera. <laughs> eight. Okay, number eight, Dexter. Uh. Um, so viewers sort of expected either like a karmic retribution or sort of a clean getaway. Would you know he be caught? Would he fall victim to you know the same violence he's inflicted on others, or would he stay to live another day? And it was kind of like he's a lumberjack <laughs> um, because I really liked that series overall. I, to me, it was just not as satisfying as maybe I would have liked. Uh, yeah, I watched the first season of Dexter and did not watch anything beyond that. I don't. I have a fundamental dislike of the idea of making a serial killer a hero of a show even though i did love hannibal um but not dexter yeah i I just never i i think i i mentioned it earlier in conversation but i think it's a show that outlived its concept Mm -hmm. how many seasons did it go seven or something yeah i know i mean ultimately seven yeah i I can't even believe it was seven but but i mean uh john c hall Michael, actor Michael Michael C. Michael C. Hall Michael C. Hall fantastic actor yes. I mean he delivered the goods yes. but it was just like and, and what you said earlier was like a lot of the audience thought there had to be some sort of retribution mm-hmm. and so anything but that was going to be kind of a fun zinger for the audience like oh sure okay go ahead and do that yeah. <laughs> did you watch Dexter at all yeah MC? I did you did did you watch it all the way through? I didn't watch it. I dropped off probably after season five, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I do think it just lost a lot, some of its luster, and and I don't know, it it suffered again, as Toby was saying. From it just li- mm-hmm. it just stayed too long, right? Something was wrong. We might be we might be running out of. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, where do I, we- yeah, I think it always struggled a little bit to find sort of its footing because I don't know if they knew, always knew what they were trying to say. But I, I think it's incredible it lasted that many years. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, number seven, Friends, the Friends finale. Uh, that's another. There were a number of seasons, you know, for Friends, obviously. One of the longer-running sitcoms on television. Um, but I think a lot of people thought that... That was another one that stayed a little bit too long. Um, yeah, I think and, it went eight seasons, right? Yeah. Seven or eight? Um, and uh, people felt sort of that last season, they were just sort of like going through the motions and uh, and really just waiting to sort of exhale when it was over. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. so, and especially because that, I think that was one of the first shows that I remember where all of the promotion was... The final the season final of Friends, like this right. is the last. There's a finite number right. of these, and 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 you're building an expectation for something that has to be monumental. I mean, of, I think a lot of people ended. saw what was coming as well. It was sort of like our, you know, Ross and Rachel going to get back together. She right. had during that season, she was offered a promotion in Paris, and it was like, is she going to go? And it's kind uh-huh. of like, she's not going. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, and so everybody was sort of just ready for them to be back together, and the season, or you know, they just sort of toyed around with it all season, and it was. I don't know, I think a frustrating one for fans overall, but um, yeah, I, but of I, course, you know, there's payoff there. I mean, it's, you know, the end of a lot of arcs, so. Hmm. Okay. Number six, Lost. I didn't see, I never watched Lost. I mean, you're missing out. That's one of the best shows I've ever watched and in it's, my uh, life. <laughs> it's going to be leaving Netflix at the end of the year, so you need that. to go home right now. <laughs> I have two seasons on Box DVD. I watched. I I actually, I watched the first episode and decided they're not going to do to me what X Files did to me. I'm not watching this show. It wasn't because of artistic. Actually, I thought it was. Actually, I'll tell you what you can do. No, 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 kidding. And there is still time. Go back, watch the first episode, then go straight ahead and watch the last (laughs) episode. Honestly, (laughs) I, I, I. It'll work. Okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to try that. They say. I mean, there was no way they were ever going to wrap up every. Hanging no, storyline right. from six seasons of yes. serialized like island mayhem, <laughs> but and it's a two and a half hour finale. But I really do think, and they they leave a lot of questions unanswered, which I think people, I mean, we're hoping that they were all going to answer like all of these different mysteries, all of these different Easter eggs, like what's here, what's there, and they don't. I mean, they, I mean, it really is about the characters, which is always what the show was about yep. to begin with for me. I mean, that's why I don't have any issue with that finale. I sobbed hysterically. So did that I. Two hour I, finale. I was. I don't think you were on this podcast when we were talking about JJ. Rooms, but every commercial break, I would get it together. I would get it together, <laughs> and then it would come right back, and I would stop, start sobbing immediately again. Like I watched it on my own, hysterically sobbing, and and I, I loved every second of it. Like.
Like I, I thought it was a really, really beautiful send off to a lot of those characters, and um, and that again, it was always what it was always a character driven show for me. It was never a plot driven one. Yeah. Like never yeah. was that. And so I don't care. You know, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. I don't. And I know people have issues with it, but I do really think it's a beautiful finale. There was always like the running joke was in the last ten minutes, just one of the writers would have to jump on camera with a and then with with, an explanation, just with like a legal pad and go, "Oh yeah, the smoke monster was one of these." (laughs) Yeah, Uh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, no, I agree, Toby. No, no sale. Sorry. What's 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 next? Uh, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, I've never um, seen that either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, These after, are the worst endings. Uh, there's a no, re- but this is a uh, this show was on for like eleven seasons yeah, or I, something like I that. Know, I mean, and, and it was one of the most popular television shows uh, in CBS history. I mean, truly. Two and a half. Um, two and a half. Same that? with Two and a Half Men. Yeah, I mean, Two and a Half Men. But so really, I mean, the series starts with him narrating how I met your mother, and it's you know after dedicating. So the whole time you're like, okay, when are we going to meet the mother? Who is he talking about? Oh. Is it this character? Is it that character? And after dedicating the entire final season. To Ted Mosby finally meeting his future wife, the showrunner kind of turned a her a little. The character's bit. name is Ted. Mosby. Yeah, which one yeah. was that? Was that? It was the Josh bland Radner. middle guy, as yeah. opposed to the. And that's what I was like. I don't even know his name. Side. Josh Radner is his yeah. name. In the oh, middle. okay. I don't even know. Um, but so the showrunners they sort of turn her into an afterthought, and so I mean, really, I mean, the whole episode. <laughs> the whole <show> <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, it's like. This twist might have made sense of it that the series was only a couple of seasons, but after nine years of asking yeah. the audience to care about the identity of a woman in the title, and then and then they kill her off. Like that's yeah. sorry, that's yeah. the, and, I mean, and they was, kill her off in, in the were, most dismissive. It's right. I mean, it's so dismissive. People really. were and it's furious. not. It was not a show that was deep. Like <laughs> it was not. It was not a. I mean, I was not some, a huge fan of the really show. Pro- right, but yeah. there are some really nice moments on that show, um, even with Marshall's father dying, and like there are some really, really poignant things. I, like I find episodes that I really like to watch, um, you know, of How I Met Your Mother. But yeah, that finale in that last season, there aren't a lot of them, and so it's no. people were furious, like when that came out, like really, really, like personally, like offended watching mm-hmm. that series finale, which is a shame because I think. It is, uh, you know, a, a not too bad series, and it's, it's just too bad. But uh, number four, New Heart. Which one? Where he wakes up and it's yeah. a dream. Yeah. I, I, I love I that. I do too. Yeah. I like it also. They parody that so much too. It's, which it, never, I thought it was brilliant. It's never not funny. I don't yeah. think either. Um, so I, yeah, I disagree with that one. Uh, number three is Roseanne. Roseanne. I didn't. I don't. I'm not a. I'm well, not a. Watch a Roseanne Watchers, and as and as we know, it didn't really end. It just, exactly, it like, just went away. Guess what? It's back. You'll yeah. be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Ro- Rosie had some uh, nuts to farm. I forget exactly how it ended because I know that final season they win the lottery. Um, yeah, the, the, and the, well, basically what happened, as I recall, because I, I mean, I remember when the show was actually on, and America was kind of over it. That's mm-hmm. important to remember, mm-hmm. uh, except for folks that didn't have cable, so they were still watching it, I guess. But. Um, she wins the lottery. Dan dies. The husband right. dies. Has a heart really? Yeah. John, John John Goodman's character dies. Dies. Well, but, that, but yeah. that was the entire concept of the show that people loved. You know, it was like your neighbors down the street, or you and your family. You right. know, kind of like lower middle class, like whatever. And then it's like now we're rich, and every like all of our problems are kind of solved. You know, and so yeah. like completely turned the concept. Yeah, it was the a lottery. Check bounce. What else? Uh, three sign or excuse me, two Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Yeah, I uh, never watched. I, I watched a lot of them, but I never watched the whole season. So that box, round. that box in your house that has the pictures on it, you don't like to watch anything. <laughs> on it? The box? No, I watch. I watch the ones that I like. As opposed you don't like to Seinfeld. I no, I did, but you know, at some point, I was working on a career and oh. I didn't have time to watch television. I was up in L.A. It was one of the most talked about series finale of like the last twenty years. But yeah. what, it was why is that it on entire build up? Um, is it? It's on the worst though list or on this no, guy's worst list. Yeah, I mean it is, but um, I mean well, it they, was they, terrible. Well, oh, it I, was? I, I I'm kind of in I, I'm middle ground. I feel like it's it's a very it was obviously a groundbreaking sitcom and. And they were, I mean, they, they kind of do this big parade where they're on trial for something sort yeah. of goofy in terms of all the of law. that was bad. Um, and then they, the br- so they're bringing back through all these character witnesses to describe how terrible like they all are as people, and then they um, end up in jail. Yeah. Um, so that the big finale was it was kind of more of a bigger show. I don't, I, I don't mind it, but I do think, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people because it was just such a big build up, it wasn't as much yeah. of a payoff as people thought. But I, I also kind of think it's like, how do you end a show kind of like that? I really don't know how you would, how I would end Seinfeld, I would, honestly. I would have ended it in the diner, I would have just it out on well, them in the diner or whatever. What, what they do is they do something similar to the diner thing, but it's at the very end. They're in prison. In the, in, but in jail. Yeah. They're in jail. But and talking having, about like the placement of yeah. George's button on the his last, sweater. The last. Yeah. <laughs> and I, why is that button there? I haven't gone back to watch it, but I think the last scene in the when they're in prison, in, in jail, is the same as the very, very first scene 
when they were in the diner, you know, eight yeah. years before. Mm. I think they oh, they, they right. kind of match right. cut it, it and they right. and they update the references because they make the they make like they make prison jokes mm. because they're all in prison. Oh, I but, see. But the episode itself was like a ninety minute. Yeah, it was long. It was like Super Bowl caliber commercial bringing spending. in like the soup nazi yeah. like all these all of- yeah, i don't mind it i, I kind of like it I, i'm nostalgic like that though so i like to see all those characters come back in sort of a goofier setting but also like they kind of it's funny on curb your enthusiasm like they do where they bring back i don't know if you guys saw that yeah. they bring back yeah. um you know for to revive sitcom or uh, seinfeld overall i think they do a really good job there like but the whole time when they're trying to like write the script they're kind of like well people didn't like the finale so we got to come back and kind of fix this and larry <laughs> david's like people like the finale <laughs> i don't people liked it um we're just doing this you know because people want to see more and like but uh but i think they do a a really good job uh, on curb addressing it so number one is the sopranos yeah we're gonna i don't know how long we're gonna be able to talk about this but i i thought it was fine i hate it and love it at the same time okay so if you say it was fine and you love it what, what what do you love i love the fact that um instead of making a typical gangster ending they end with this ambiguity uh is the guy that's in that walks in going to kill them right or are they just going to have because the the show was equal parts this family relationship and this horrible life that that soprano led well i think that what's interesting about it this was the uh, david chase was one of the first people for a series ender to do something nobody had seen before which was surprise you you know everyone kind of walked away with not understanding, yeah, the the ambiguity of like, what what are we supposed to take away from this, and um, and so uh, like that because there are a lot of conventions I think to series finales, and that was one that was not. Yeah, at he all. just pissed all over it, right? Yeah, uh, and you said you said he's never bothered to explain it in ten years, right? He, no, ten years won't answer questions, or he, you know, because people yeah are like, was is he is Tony Soprano alive? Was that guy trying to kill him? Who was the shady guy at the counter? Like, what was Meadow doing parking? Like, you know, like so everybody's trying to figure out again what he's trying to say or what happens to. Tony Sobrano and he refuses what about best do you guys have a favorite for best uh, I don't I don't think I do I can't think of uh, I haven't seen too many series to the through it to the well, ending one of the first shows I remember really ending um, and this is a, a, a deep bowl this is definitely a show NBC could reboot though uh, the TV show Hill Street Blues yeah, that Which, was a brilliant show. Real big deal in the eighties. I was a, I was a tiny, tiny child. Steve I shouldn't Bochco. have been shouldn't have been watching it. But uh but when they finished it and they and they said, Look, this is gonna be the last episode. Like we're going you know, everybody wants too much money, we're gonna end it. Uh they they made it clear it was it was almost any other episode of the show. And the point being that it their was, lives continued. It was called Hill Street Blues. Was it wasn't yet. called Captain Johnny right, or right. Officer Fred. So they said, like, they're, they're, they have, like, a small fire. And you think, oh, they're going to burn the place down. Mm-hmm. No, it's a small fire, and they put it out. And so everyone has to go to work, even though there's this big char mark on the wall. You know, it's just like, boy, I, I never noticed how shitty our <laughs> office is. And they were like, yeah, what are you going to do? Go catch bad guys. And so the story continues. So, so I, I like if you do that in a show – but that doesn't apply to every show. Yeah. Um, but well, but there they did they did sort of go like, and the point is it doesn't really end. Yeah. Right. And I, I I can't think of anything specific, except for Sons of Anarchy, which mm-hmm. I thought was great. But. Yeah, that was on a few best lists. I mean, I think there are a few that are like very universally like these are beautiful endings yeah. to a show or well done in terms of wrapping it up. Like Breaking Bad was on a lot of lists. Six Feet Under was pretty much at the top oh. of a lot, which I love that series finale too. I think, I think Six Feet Under did a thing that was very similar to what they did with Weeds, which is the second to the last episode is really the end of the show. Mm. And then they do the reunion show <laughs> because well, yeah, six I mean, feet under shows how everybody dies right six feet under yeah every i mean every episode of that show started with the demise of somebody and then at the so it didn't for that episode at the end it showed how the entire clan sort of goes and we get future glimpses into everyone's funerals and um and then it's claire at the end the the youngest uh fisher surrounded by sort of mementos of you know a satisfying existence yeah. and then she goes into the light and it was it's very moving. I watched the clip of it actually in my office this week because nothing is going on. Um, and it's like eight minutes long and it's over like Sia's breathe. And I was 
I was teary-eyed for sure, like yeah. watching that in my office. I mean, it's really, really beautiful. Right, but you mentioned it's about character too, and that's what Breaking yeah. Bad is. Why his that one is so good, also because you know you, there were questions going into that too. Is like, is Walt going to die? Is he going to find yeah. redemption? And really, because a long time ago, you realize he's not really worth redeeming. You know, his soul wasn't worth saving. But it doesn't matter. It's still very moving in yeah. terms of seeing, you know, or have him figuring out how to rescue those closest to him and. Um, and coming to terms with the realization that he was the one that put everybody in danger to begin with. But I still think that's a very moving finale also. And, yeah. uh, and that was a perfect season almost to really, really fantastic work there. Yeah, great list. Great uh, discussion. Um, we are running a little long, so let's, let's do one question from the audience. Um, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, you guys can pick whatever you want. I, I don't think there's a, uh, uh, I mean, if you want to talk about number one, we can do that. Uh, yeah, let's go for that. So a producer wants to option my script and has mentioned money, but not an actual number. It's typical. Uh, how does this work? Okay, so an option is when somebody wants to lock up a script uh, in order to find funding or in order to get a production started. Usually they're they're anywhere from three months to a year. Uh, 18 months, I've heard, but I wouldn't I, – I guess I would um, – so what you do is they give you a small amount of money. Some people think it's ten percent of the 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 budget or the the that's not there. It could be it, it could be five hundred dollars. It could be ten thousand dollars. And so what they're going to do is keep your, the rights to your script. To produce, they're going to get first rights to your script for a certain amount of time, and then they get a renewal, an option to renew, which could be if it's six months, they could renew for six months. So the thing is, is there's a couple ways to go with an option. When I first started, I never let the producer put a, a purchase amount on the script because then I could determine when he sold it what my purchase price would be. But a lot of producers want to say, okay, I'm going to give you an option for $1,000 for six months. Um, and then we're getting... So a producer, I never let a producer put a purchase price on the script because I wanted to be able to negotiate at... Uh, the 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 purchase level, and that was okay with some producers, but a lot of producers like to put a purchase price. So they'll say, "I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to option your script for a thousand dollars for six months. At the end of that six months, I'm going to then re-option it if I if I have a because they're afraid that they're going to at at month five and a half they're going to get a deal and then they're going to lose their option before the deal is made with the production company." But um, a lot of times they'll put a purchase price in there. So they may say $1,000 against $150,000 for a purchase price. You don't get that $150,000 for a long time. And then you can still know, go in and negotiate. The, the best advice I have is never sign anything without an attorney. I made that mistake many times um, because it's hard to afford a, a, you know, a $600 an hour attorney. But at least check with somebody who has some experience with uh, with that. But that's how it works. It's really a simple, what it is is you're locking up a script in order to be able to find a, a place to produce it. That's it. And then they, there's legal stuff involved. You can get screwed really really easily if you don't uh, know what you're doing. Um, but it's, uh, it's the only way the business works. They don't buy your script. They don't pay $75,000 for a script unless they're sure, unless they have a production, a specific production need. So the option allows them to to keep to, to shop it around, I guess. There's also something called a shopping agreement, uh, which is basically a an agreement in writing that you will not sell this, you will not send the script to anyone else while the producer is taking it around to see if there's a possibility for sale. So that's just a shopping agreement. There's no money involved. It's just a, almost a almost a gentlemanly agreement that you won't do anything with the script while they're trying to sell it, which I think is bullshit. Make them pay some money at least. So, what 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 exactly does the option preclude me as the writer from doing once I've once I've optioned my script at MC for a thousand dollars casual charge? Mm -hmm. What 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 can I yeah, not do bucks. with it? You can't do any. It's not yours at that point. They have the right. You can't send it to any. You can send it to people as a writing sample. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's looking for a writer to write a Revolutionary War script and this is optioned, I could send it uh, to them. But you can't do anything with it. You're you're precluded legally from. From you do not own that script at that point. It's it's kind of like in a escrow account, kind of like in escrow. Um, so it's it's a good way. It's a really great business tool, I think. Now now, and this is a little off that question, but if I've optioned my script, what can MC now do with the script that I optioned to her? 
What, she what, can sell it make to money, money. Yeah. <laughs> she can sell it. She can set up a deal. Let's say she's got a first look deal with Paramount. So uh, she's a producer of note. So she takes this script to Paramount and says, I'd like this to be my next project. Paramount will evaluate it and decide if they're going to do it. If they decide to do it, they want to negotiate with the producer, not with you. They don't want you as part of that chain. So they negotiate with the producer. The producer has already negotiated with you. So he's, uh, he's locked in with you, but you, there, he's locked in with, uh, with Paramount or Fox. There may be uh, limitations in that. And everything, what I've heard all my career is everything in Hollywood is negotiable. So you should, again, use an entertainment attorney who knows what they're doing so that you're not giving away rights that you should, in fact, have. Uh, I'm not, I, I mean, most of that legal stuff, I just leave, I have a great attorney. Uh, I don't know why he likes me, but he does. Um, and he takes a percentage as opposed to an hourly rate, which I think is a, a great way to go. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a business tool. All right, well, we're going to wrap it up. Um, I would like to, again, personally thank uh, Mary Claire and Toby uh, for spending this is our 18th podcast um, it's been a joy and a treat to work with you guys my undying appreciation for spending this time with just me um, and the audience and stuff like that I just think it's been great uh, and I hope it continues into 2018 apace I hope we we get I want to add a couple guests maybe a, a little bit more uh, but I think it's you know just been a, a wonderful dynamic thank you very much to both of you thanks Mark So uh, tell us where we can... Uh, lavish praise on our <laughs> on the uh, the audience can lavish yeah, praise only on us. positive voicemails no you can call us at 919 <laughs> scripts or reach out to us at plotpoints.com and leave a comment okay and then uh, don't forget um, we're not doing anything yet but don't forget OC screenwriters which is oscscreenwriters.com and I have classes that are starting in January mid-January an in- intermediate uh, semester and an intro semester at Irvine Valley College community ed uh the website is scriptwritingclasses.org or 123getsmart.org is the irvine valley college uh, community ed website going into 2018 um we'll have uh, our next podcast will be right in the middle of january so it'll be fun to see if uh, anything i know i know here in california marijuana becomes legal in <laughs> beginning of january so so the next episode might be a bit late <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks